Well, good morning. Welcome to all of you uh, who are with us in the room, and well, all you guys who are joining us online. If you don't know me, Mary already introduced me. My name is Wendell Full, and I get to serve as care pastor. Um, I have something here in my hands. How many people do not know what this is? Put your hand up if you do not know what it is. Anybody? There's one hand right there. Well, this is an amazing little device that was created back in the early 60s, and you could take music off your record player. You could take records, the large CDs, and you could record music on this and take it with you. And you could either record a whole album because there was A and there was B, or you could make a mixtape of all of your favorite songs. And um, it's kind of similar to playlists today off of iTunes or Spotify. And if I was to put together a, a mixtape, a summer mixtape, it would probably be very different than the rest of the pastors who are on staff here because I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm, a, I'm from a different era than the rest of our pastors are. Um, so probably the first songs that I would put on my, my tape would be songs that I uh, grew up with my father. He, he loved country and western music. And so the first one that jumped in my mind was a song by Charlie Pride. It was Kiss an Angel Good Morning. I don't know if you ever heard that or not. But it's, I kind of thought as a young person, kind of a spiritual, I'll kiss an angel good morning. And then I listened later on, and then it says, lover like a devil when you get back home. I go, oh, that's a country western song. Then, then I said, oh, maybe I'll put on uh, a song called uh, the, old, uh, the Green, Green Grass of Home. And a beautiful song, Walking Down the Lane with Mary, Green, Green Grass. And again, once I understood more about the song, it was about a man who woke up and was ready to be executed. So I go, I'm not sure. Maybe those shouldn't be songs on my tape. Then I'd add probably a couple hymns, Amazing Grace, uh, The Old Rugged Cross. I love, I love the old hymns. And then there would just be this mixture of wonderful music uh, from people like Boston and Kansas and Chicago and the Eagles and America and Ario Speedwagon and Sticks and Crossy Spiels, Nasty Young, and some JT. That would be a beautiful mixtape for all of us back in the 60s. And yes, it's awesome. Good stuff. So the, why are we talking about mixtape music this morning? Well, this summer, you're going to hear from all four of us pastors. And like my mixtape is going to be different than the pastor's mixtape, all of our messages are going to be different. We're not in a, a series that continues, you know, one message building on another. We're all going to share something we feel God placed on our heart. And uh, we're going to um, just share that with you. So um, I have one last song that I want I'd add to my mixtape. And once you know the words, I want you to join in with me. And you can sway a little if you want to. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Here's the next part. Let me hear it loud. Be happy. All right, you got it. That's awesome. Give yourself a clap on that one. That's awesome. How many of you want to be happy this morning? If you want to be happy, put your hand up. All of us want to be happy. So I, I have a few sentences that I'd like you to add the last word for me. When I finally graduate from high school, then I am going to be? When I get married, I'm finally going to be? When I have children, I'm finally going to be? When my children leave, I'm finally going to be happy, happy, happy. So, so here's a question. Is that true? Is that always true? Are we going to be happy? Maybe for a little while. Maybe for a little bit. But all of a sudden, things don't always go that way. 
Why is it not true that we're going to be happy? It's because happiness has nothing to do with when and then. Happiness has nothing to do with when and then because happiness is truly a choice that we have to make. And the problem with waiting for something to happen is something else always shows up and takes it away. And we find ourselves then not being happy and being miserable and being very unhappy. And so I guess the question is, is there anything that we can do so that we can be happy no matter what happens or is going around in our lives? And that's, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to take a look at uh, a passage in Philippians chapter 1. You can take your Bibles out or your phone. You can turn there. It's Philippians 1. It's written by the Apostle Paul. This is a real letter written by a real person to a real group of people. And Paul gives in this passage that we're going to read an example of how we can be happy no matter what is happening in our lives. And before we read the passage, we need to remember what's going on with the Apostle Paul. He has every reason in the world to be bitter and miserable and unhappy and depressed because he's in prison. He's in prison for something. He didn't do anything wrong, and he's waiting to be executed because of his faith, and things are not good for him. And so what does he do? He writes this book on happiness and on joy. So I'm going to read the text. It's a little bit long, but it's God's Word, so I think it's okay. It's Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. A sip of water. Listen as I read. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for, me, labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it was more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through me, through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, 
without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want you to read verse 27 with me nice and loud. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, we'll be talking about that. Paul models for us in this passage four happiness habits that we get to put into practice because of our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So if you'd like to take notes, you can jot down number one, the first happiness habit. I can be happy no matter what happens in my life if I look at every problem from God's viewpoint, which means there's a difference between what God understands and what I understand when I look at the issue. Again, we're going to look at verse 12. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. And that's the New Living Translation. Everything that has happened. And of course, we've already noted that Paul was in prison. Uh, if you go to 2 Corinthians, you'll find there is a list of all kinds of things that Paul had to go through, that he endured, that he, he had experienced, and stuff that most of us wouldn't want to be a part of. He was beaten, he was whipped, he was humiliated, he was falsely arrested. Of course, we know he's thrown into prison, he went through an earthquake. The list goes on and on and on. And how could Paul say that all of that stuff helped spread the gospel? One, one thing we know about Paul is that he had a passion and a desire to share the hope that he had because of what Jesus did in his life. And he wanted to tell everybody that he could about the gospel. And that's one of the reasons that Paul so badly wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to go there and he wanted to be able to preach the gospel. If you think about it, you get into the capital of the empire, you can get in the middle of town, set up a stage, and you could just preach Jesus. All I got to do is get there. But God had another plan. He says, yeah, Paul, you're going to go to Rome, but you're going to go as a what? You're going to go as a prisoner. You're going to go and you're going to be locked up and you're going you're to be made a royal prisoner of, Caesar, of the Caesar and that happened to be Nero, a really rotten, mean, nasty guy. And so much for the plans for Paul to preach the gospel, right? Not so fast. Not so fast. Think about this. As a royal prisoner, he had a royal guard or guards with him for 24 hours a day. And because of his position as a royal prisoner, he is getting to interact with all kinds of different people, people you had never had the opportunity to talk to. And he's got these guards around him for 24 hours, and I'm assuming they're, they're transferring out. Think of how many guards had to sit with Paul and hear the message of the gospel. Think about this. Who was the real prisoner at that point, right? Who, who, who had the captive audience? So what happens? Paul's there for two years. He's in prison. What happens as a result of, of Paul's preaching in that very limited context? This is uh, uh, verse 21. Uh, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greeting. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So who is he talking about? Who is Caesar's household? They were probably some of those very guards who heard the message and their heart was changed. They were probably some of the household members of Caesar's family. 
And you think about it, that's how Paul then could say, no matter what happens, I, I'm go, I'm, I can rejoice in, in, in God's hand in all this. Paul could say, no matter what happens, the gospel is going to be advanced. There's a second thing that happens because of Paul's imprisonment that he probably had no concept was going to take place. He was forced to sit still for those two years, and as a result, he writes what we know as the prison epistles. And you think about what had the bigger impact, set up a three-day event in town, preach, or sit in prison for two years and write Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And think about the impact that it's had on our own lives and on the lives of Christians throughout, throughout history. Paul was able to say whatever happens, he could, he could rejoice. Um, Paul said, you know, I had my plans, but God had plans that were much bigger than mine that I couldn't even see at the moment. And he says, I can be happy because I can see God's hand working through all of this. I want to just stop for a second. And I, wanna, I want you to think of a problem that you're facing in your life right now. I'm assuming you have one. If you don't, I've got one that I can share with you and you can take it for me, right? I want you to stop and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to just kind of close your eyes for 30 seconds. And I want you to say these words in your heart. God, help me to see this problem from your perspective. Help me to see this problem with eyes of faith. And just for 30 seconds. Father, we will trust you, and we do ask for eyes of faith to see these things very differently than just the problem itself. Amen. Here's, here's a really cool thing that happens when you do that. When you acknowledge that issue and you acknowledge that problem, you face it by faith, there's two things that take place. And again, we find this in our passage. It's a witness to those who don't know Jesus yet, who don't know how much uh, that God loves them. In verse 13, it says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am, I am in chains for Christ. So all those people that he witnessed to and all those folks who heard about him, they heard about the testimony of Jesus. So it's a witness when you deal with the problem that you have by faith. It's also an encouragement to believers. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so they say, you know what, if Wendell can deal with that and this issue, you know what, my issue may not be as big and I'm going to trust in the same way. So we can be a witness to unbelievers and we can be encouragement to believers as well. All right, point number two, if you want to write this down, second habit, I can be happy no matter what happens if I never let others control my attitude. Have you ever said this to somebody? You make me so mad. You know when you say that, you're allowing that person to control you. That's not a good thing. So in, in verses 15 through 17, Paul talks about four different kinds of people. And the, these were people that were around him. There were people who were attacking his ministry. They, they slandered him and they judged him and they criticized him. There were people who supported his ministry. Those are the folks we love to have around us. There were some who were competing with his ministry. They wanted to kind of kick Paul down so they could look a little bit better. And then there were those who were just outright nasty, mean, they were undermining his ministry, and they were trying to destroy him and make his time in prison more painful. 
four kinds of people. Three of them are just plain old killjoys. One is a good kind. So let's look at let's, verse 15. Paul's talking about his critics. It's true that some preach Christ because they are jealous and quarrelsome. Jealous and quarrelsome. These are people who just love to argue. They love conflict. They love controversy. They're contentious, divisive. They're critical. I don't know, but have you ever met somebody like that? They're just a lot of fun to be around, right? Maybe the harder question is, are you like that? Are you that kind of person? And if we are, we are not nice to be around if that's the kind of people we are. And a, a good number of times, the motive for the quarrelsome person is their jealousy of what the other person has accomplished or what God has done in their lives. And so what do they do? They just find ways to criticize and to cut down. And not about you, but when I'm criticized, my joy factor goes way, way down. I get that little nauseous feeling in my stomach. I do not like to be criticized. I like to be liked. I want to be loved. I'm a people pleaser, which is not a good thing. I have a, a book uh, pe people pleasing pastors. Uh, no, I haven't read it yet. I need to probably, right? <laughs> but we really do want to be liked and we want to be uh, cared for. And um, we just want to have approval. So here's something I think that's really important for me, particularly, but for all of us something we need to remember. I don't need other people's approval to be happy. And if I try to get everyone's approval, I will never be happy. Is that a true statement? That's a true one, isn't it? If I have God's approval because of my acceptance of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, that is enough. That is enough. Easier said than actually put into practice in our lives, but that is very, very true. All right, so the next verse in verse 16, he talks about the good guys. Those are the people we'd love to have around us. Those are our friends, and there's no greater joy to be on a team of people that get along, that love each other and support each other, who lovingly sometimes will point out things in our lives that we need to have, and those people are an encouragement. And those people, Paul had them in his life, and they were a great, 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 great joy. Um, uh, let's see. Let me. I, my pages are backward here. So I'll do this differently. Verse 17, he talks about another killjoy. These are competitors, others who preach Christ insincerely from a spirit of selfish ambition. Think about that. People who are selfish. How do you know when someone is ego-driven? Well, it's very easy. You listen to them, and you find that they put people down all the time to make themselves look better. Oh, did you hear what he did? And, oh, I can't believe what he did. And they, these kind of people feel compelled to put others down to build themselves up. I think in the business world, you call it climbing the corporate ladder. You'll do anything to get ahead of somebody else because it's all about me. And those people are killjoys. Then the last one, verse 17, he talks about the conspirators or the enemies. And they're just people who just want to make your life miserable. Here's the truth. We all have those four kinds of people in our lives. We've got the critics, the comrades, the competitors, and the conspirators. Here's what we need to make a choice to do. Do not let them rob you of your joy. And Paul wants us to see what his attitude was this. He says, I'm in prison. I'm already down. You guys are already kicking me while I'm down. And you're trying to get at me. And then here's what he says in verse 18. But what? Does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue 
to rejoice. I love that. I love because that's what I want to see more in my life. I, want, I do not want to let people control my attitude. And it doesn't matter what they do, and it doesn't matter what they don't do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on Christ. I'm going to choose to be happy and continue to be happy, and I'm not going to let you take my joy. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Three, third habit. You can write this one down. I can be happy no matter what happens if I always trust God to work things out. I can always be happy no matter what happens if I always trust God to work things out. What does that mean? That means I stop trying to work all things out according to Wendell's plan. I let God do what God does best. And what we can call that is the faith factor. I might not understand it. I don't, it doesn't look like it's going to work out, but I'm going to choose to trust. Philippians 1.19, yes, I will continue to rejoice. That's the beginning of that. I will continue to rejoice. Paul says, I will. To continue to rejoice in those circumstances that we are in that are really hard is an act of the will. It is a choice. It is a choice that only you can make and only I can make for myself. So no matter how bad things are in your life right now, we can choose to say, I will rejoice. Now, again, easier said than done. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. And he continues, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. In that little verse, we find the things that made it possible for Paul and for us to be able to say, I'm going to choose to trust. Um, uh, verse 19, we read this. First, I have God's perspective on my problems. That's when he says, for I know. He's for I know. It's what you know that keeps you going, isn't it? When I know God's word that tells me I will not give you more than you can handle, I'm going to trust him for that. When I know that he says I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I hold on to that, no matter what it looks like around me. So it's very, very important. So Paul knew truth that he, he held on to. I know that God is working in this. I have God's perspective. Then he says, number two, I have people that are praying for me. Don't you love it when someone comes up and says, you know, hey, uh, I've been praying for you. I know you've been in a tough place. It's an encouragement, isn't it? You, you just stand firm. You just, you can keep on going. Then Paul says, I have the Holy Spirit helping me. And we spent the last few weeks taking a look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit to encourage and, and convict and to strengthen us. And then he says, I expect to be delivered. In jail, locked up, guards next to him, by faith, I'm trusting that I am going to be delivered. So I've got perspective, I've got prayer, I've got the Holy Spirit, and I've got faith. And because of that, he could say, I choose to be happy. I will continue to rejoice. And so with those four things, we can say the same thing with the issues that we have going on in our life. Does that make sense? I hope it does. All right, number four, it's the last one. I can be happy if I stay focused on my purpose and not my problem. I stay focused on my purpose and not my problem. Um, Paul is now an old man. Uh, he's at the end of his life. He's close to it. He's in prison. He's a long way from home. He's in Rome. He's awaiting death. He's not able to get around and do the ministry that he did. They've taken everything away from him, his family, his friends, even his freedom to move about, his privacy. He's sitting there 24 hours a day locked up. 
But there's one thing they could not take away from Paul. They could not take away his purpose. They could not take away his purpose. They could not, they could, they could not control what he was going to do and what he was going to think. They could not do that to him. He continued to focus on his purposes. What was his purpose? His purpose was to serve God by serving others. His purpose was to serve God by serving others. And Paul is really honest here in this passage here. You just see a real honest heart as, as Paul wrote this part of our scripture. He's honest about the position it puts, he puts it in. Uh, verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And I, I wouldn't blame him for one minute. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. What Paul says, it doesn't matter if I live or if I die, I still have purpose. I've got purpose either way. On earth, my purpose is to serve God by serving other people. So how do you do that? How do you serve God on this earth? Well, you can't touch him, you can't see him, but you can serve God by serving the people that he puts in your path, that he puts into your life. You, you have an attitude to want to help them. And he says, when I'm alive, my purpose is simply to serve Christ by serving him. And when I die, my purpose is is to be with Christ. And either way, he says, I win. I stay alive just for the sake of others. And actually, he says, selfishly, I would rather just kind of, I'd rather go to heaven. I'd rather kind of be away. But unselfishly, he goes, nope, I have a purpose that God hasn't removed from me, and I need to continue on, and I need to continue on by faith. And so the way to happiness is self-sacrifice, not self-gratification. And the Paul, Paul says the reason I'm happy is because as long as I'm here, I'm going to be giving my life away. And I, th I, th I thought about that. The more I seek after my own happiness and my own approval, the less happy I really am. The less happy I really am. Happiness comes from service. Happiness comes from giving our lives away. And Paul sums up his whole purpose in verse 21. He says, for me to live, for to me to live is Christ and to die is is gain. You think about that verse. Let me ask you this. For me to live is, and I want you to fill in that blank. For me to live, you can fill in that blank. And if somebody came up to you today and asked you to fill that blank in, what would you say? How would you fill it in? Because how you fill that blank in will determine how happy you are. If you fill it in with pleasure and possessions and power and prestige and all those kind of things, uh, you're not going to be very happy. There's nothing wrong with those things, but uh, when they become first place in our life, they take away our joy. God has a far greater purpose for us. For me to live is Christ. And I think when I, when I think of everything I've just said, the thing that will make the greatest difference in your life in, in terms of happiness is knowing, even with what we sang in all the songs this morning, is do I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior? Have I come to the place where I have received the gift that God so freely offered when he sent his son to die on the cross for us? And I know there are many in this room that have asked Jesus to come in, and I know there will be some people in the room this morning who says, I'm not sure yet. I don't know if I understand. But I know for me, February of 1981, I realized that I, was, I did things that were not right. And scripture calls it sin. And simply by faith, 
from God's word, I confess that sin to God, and I ask him to come into my life to be the Lord of my life, the leader of my life, to be the one who would save me and take away the penalty of my sin. I think that's the foundational piece for, for this happiness that we've talked about. So I, I'm going to pray a, a prayer uh, that I prayed a long, long time ago. And I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray, and maybe this morning you've been thinking about, um, maybe I, I, need, I need Jesus to come into my life. And you can pray this. There's no magic to these words. But it's a simple act of faith. You could pray this prayer. and said, Jesus, I, I, I love you. I, I'm just getting to know you more, and I realize that I'm not where you want me to be. I'm doing these things that are not pleasing, and I'm just, I don't want to confess that to you and say I'm sorry. And I just want to give you my life with your help. And the, I've heard about the Holy Spirit who will come in and help me. I, I need that help so that I can be who you want me to be. And so by faith, I pray that prayer, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, it's the most beautiful prayer in the world, and maybe you're going, ah, I don't know if I still get that, and boy, we'd love to chat with you. You could put your name on a connection card, and we would, uh, we would love to be able to meet with you. Um, Jesus said these words, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And this morning, you are sent to be uh, joy-filled people, and I hope that you will be filled with happiness, and uh, you are sent. God bless you. God bless you. Have a great day.